0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Big Fall Strength Podcast. I am with you today, as always, Austin Antrim. This is going to be the part three of my coaching segment, and let me tell you something. I am excited because it was a one-week plan to get it done, and it's been about two and a half weeks since I posted the first episode announcing that I was going to be doing this segment. So... I am excited to get it done so we can move on to more more topics, different topics um, that need to be covered, or that I feel need to be covered, whatever, you know. Um, so it's coaching part three, and I said that we're going to get a little bit more um, colorful with this one, a little bit more descriptive in what exactly it is to be a good good coach or a bad coach, um, what makes you a bad coach, and I'm going to use a lot of examples, and that's what this episode is going to be, it's going to be the conclusion of, you know, everything, so, and hopefully you guys can look back at this and listen to the part one, the part two, the part three, and get something out of it, because, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're just some guy that likes to go to the gym and you, or if you're just some woman, some person, if you're some person who likes to go to the gym and you're really into your fitness but you're also a teacher, th- these these things can help you, you know? Um, and not to go off on a tangent here, but I had, a teacher who once very nice person. I will say that extraordinarily nice person. Um and and they cared. But the ability to command the classroom had a some it had a it had an effect on her her their ability to teach so you know there were a bunch of kids who weren't turning assignments in just because they were too lazy to turn them in and then you got kids who weren't turning assignments in because they didn't even know that the assignments were put out and you know you get told at the beginning of class that oh I'm gonna post it on whatever so that you're able to do it, and class gets over at you know three o'clock. You go home, you get ready to do your assignments, and it's four o'clock, and it still hasn't been uploaded. You know that's one of those things where, you know, as a teacher, you you have to understand if you want kids to do their work, if your expectation. Is for kids to turn in their work, then you on time. Then you have to turn your, you have to, you have to upload it and make it accessible on time. You know, getting an email at nine o'clock at night saying, oh, it's finally been uploaded, and then going to school the next day and checking your email at your one o'clock class saying that the assignments due at two o'clock doesn't really do you any good. Because your class is gonna be an hour long and, and you're not gonna get that assignment done and it just it's it's a little unfair. So but the result of that was understanding. Communicating and understanding and, and having having that kind of lenience within things because of miscommunication, mishaps you know, you can't, you can't, sometimes people can't control things, you know, and I could have just as very easily went to a different staff member and, you know, filed a report on it because, you know, it's kind of academically messed up and could have got her in trouble, but I didn't. You know, as a student, I talked to her. So it kind of, that kind of plays into what we're talking about today is just situational stuff. You know, nobody says that you're not allowed to make mistakes as a coach or a leader. But if you're going to make mistakes, then you have to expect the people that are, you know, under your under your umbrella to make mistakes as well. And you've got to be more understanding with that. And, you know, like, like that, that example is a good example because that's the right way of handling it. The wrong way of handling it would have been telling me, oh, well, that's too bad. You know, because that's, sometimes that's what teachers do. You should have done it. You should have checked your email. I did check my email, you know. If we want to get really technical... The assignments should be posted as soon as you say anything about them in class, you know? That's my defense to that. So, anywho, enough on that. What what makes a bad coach a bad coach? Like, personality-wise, a bad coach is somebody who is just terrible. They're a terrible person. They make it about themselves. They make it about their wins. And, you know, you're the one who gets these kids to win, not, you know, and it's a a group effort. Without the team, you can't be a coach. Without the coach, you can't be a team. And the first one, I want you to listen to this. Without the team, you can't be a coach. That is 100% true. If there's no team, there's not even a, a a position for you, right? Listen to the second part because this is the most important part to listen to. Without the coach, there can be no team. That is not entirely true. There, look at back in the days where there were player coaches in football. You know, the it, it, I think today it still happens in sports like hockey and and soccer as well, um, and, and maybe even lacrosse. More more uh, worldwide sports tend to be more. They tend to be more susceptible to that kind of thing. And, you know, it's a good method because you're not going to have that in high school. You're not going to have that in college. You're probably not going to have that on a professional level when it comes to certain sports. But when it comes to club sports or, like, travel sports, you know, it's it's a potential thing. You know, you are not as important as what you think you are. As a coach, and that's something that I feel like coaches need to keep in the back of their mind to, in order to stay humble, and in order to appreciate their players and their team and what their goal is and what they're trying to accomplish. I feel like that's one of the most important parts. You have to keep that in the back of your head. I know I coach powerlifting, or I. I personal trained and I did some coaching and powerlifting. Um, you know, I, with without me, do I think that some of the, these lifters w- would have been able to get strong? Absolutely. You know, I, there's no doubt in my mind. But... Without that person, would I be able to demonstrate my skill as a coach and as a trainer? Without that group of people who are lifting, would I be able to demonstrate my ability to make somebody better? Absolutely not. So they're kind of the core of everything. You know, and you don't want to do anything to make them feel unappreciated. here's my thing with that though and this is the biggest argument that pre- that gets presented to me when I talk about subjects like that you know being humble and well there are certain people out there who will say that you're a pushover and that you're not as intense enough to be a coach that is not true listen There are people that if I feel like they don't appreciate what I'm doing or if I feel like they're cheating themselves, I'll call them out and after, I've done it before, if afterwards they get mad because I called them out, then you know what I do? That's great. I'm doing this for free. I don't have time for this. You know, it's hard for, I understand, it's hard for like a high school football coach to do that because you're getting paid to do that. But at the end of the day, whether you're a high school football coach and a teacher or you work in a factory and you also coach high school football, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You have a primary source of income. I don't know a single person who just primarily coaches High school football. Usually, they they have, you know, split sources of incomes. Be it being an educator or just being a regular, you know, worker in the manufacturing world. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to put up with it. Don't sit there and say you have to put up with it. You don't have to put up with it. You choose to put up with these things because you like the money and that is completely different than having to do something having to do something is something where you look at it and it's you you have no other option and you don't have to do anything in this world you don't have to pay your bills, but that leads me into my next thing. Good coaches understand what consequences are. They evaluate risk, and really good coaches actually teach their athletes what consequences are. I The best method of coaching that I have learned to kind of primarily stick to as a core base of how I like to coach is explanation. The explanation communication method and in the explanation communication method and yeah you might be sitting there I've never heard of this whatever there might be some fancy term out there for what I'm gonna explain and if there's not and what I'm saying isn't a defined method, then guess what? It's my defined method. I'm defining it right now. You know, that's how I feel about it. So if you don't like that, if you feel like it's funny, if you don't take it seriously, you don't have to be here. You know? And I just practiced that method right now on this podcast episode. You know? You sit there, you don't have to be an ass You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be a dick. You don't have to scream and yell. But whenever there's a problem with your player on terms of discrepancies, with attitude, with playing, with performance, you address it. You communicate. I know a big issue is playing time. Playing time. A coach plays the best... A good coach plays the best player. Hands down. I don't care if you're in... High school, college, or professional ball, it has not got a damn thing to do with like and dislike. It's got everything to do with. um, It's got everything to do with, you know, who the best player is. Now, I do believe that sometimes the best player can be misevaluated. And you don't really get put in the spotlight to showcase your, your skill and your ability to be better than that person. Because that's happened to me before. But that doesn't mean that the coach doesn't like you. It just means that he's not paying attention to you. And as a 16, 14 to 18 year old kid, it's hard to sit there and try to do something that it's hard to sit there and do something that grabs a coach's attention because you're afraid to do anything in the first place you just want to show that you can do the job you know and then once you get the job then you start going above and beyond that's what that's the typical feeling of a teenager you know they they don't have that confidence so anyway it's not got a, a thing to do with whether your whether or not your coach likes or dislikes you there are certain cases yes but you know you got to be sure that that's that's the case and not you know not have not communicate with your coach and then automatically assume that that's what it is um, so, the explanation communication method is when a when a kid comes to you about playing time. If they're very strongly, if they have strong feelings that they're better, the best player, like, if they come out right and say, I'm the best player, then, you know, you need to sit there... And it's not your responsibility as a coach to knock them down a few pegs. It's your responsibility to explain to them that, well, that's your feeling and your feelings are valid, but you don't get to pick who goes out onto the field or on the court. I do because that's the coach's job. They're not going to like that answer, but you present options to them. Here are your options if you want to play. If you truly just want to play, here are your options. You can show me that you can get better and work your tail off, and I'll be paying attention. You know, promise that you're going to be paying attention to, you know, see their hard work. Establish the fact that you're going to make it a more competitive environment. Because maybe maybe that kid, maybe you haven't been paying attention that kid is better. You know, but how do you gauge that? Well, you put them up against, you, you have to compare the two. You know, and figure out which one. If it's a close battle, then, you know, split the time in half. There's no reason to absolutely demolish one player. And we'll get into that in a second. But that player doesn't have to play the full game, and honestly, it's beneficial to have two players that are just as equally good because that means that position is always going to be a hundred percent. It's always going to have rest, and that's one less thing you truly have to worry about. You know, potentially. Um, you know, those are those. That's the. That, that's like two options right there work on getting better create a competitive environment within their position in whatever sport they play the third thing you do or the third option you can present is you know if you don't if you're that fed up with it and you don't like it then you know you can, you can quit I, I can't I can't do anything else for you other than provide an opportunity. You know. So You know, you need to you need to explain that. You need to explain that and you know, that's their third and should be the you need to express how you think that that should be their their last option that it should be the last thing they take into consideration is quitting, but it is an option. And then you gotta explain the consequences with all these options. And that's how explanation communication works. If you sit there and give them, if you give a player perspective, And you give them multiple avenues of approach they're gonna pick a road they're gonna pick a path and they're gonna go down it you know and ultimately as a coach you're gonna get a better player out of utilizing that because maybe he'll maybe they will sit there and think okay well i'm gonna get better i'm gonna show that i'm better and you're just gonna turn on some motivated beast who refuses to take no as an answer And he starts outperforming the upperclassmen and starts outperforming the person you have in their position. And that's when you start to really put together really... That's how you start making skilled athletes. Being athletic and being a winner are two different things. Look at Tom Brady. I'm sorry, but Tom is not athletic. He looks like a dork. Like I'm not trying to be mean. Like you got those Brady haters out there. I'm not one of them. I think he's I think he's the truest the truest quarterback to have ever played the game. He is he is what the mold should look like. You know, yeah, you got those older guys. You got Marino, you got Elway, you got Manning. They all did great things, but they were athletes. You know, they were athletes. Brady wasn't a- athletic. But he was, but yet he was the best quarterback there has ever been so far. You know? So That's my that's where I'm going with this is it took everybody in the world saying, "Man, you just you're not athletic, you're 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 not even mediocre, you're like in between horrible and decent enough." It took people clowning on him, it took people counting him out to get him to be the greatest of all time, like what they're calling him. You know? You can start that at a much younger age. Now you don't have to be as harsh about it, but you can let them know. You know you don't have to sit there and tell your player. You don't have to sit there and not tell your players that you're pulling for them. Because at the end of the day, you're just putting bodies in positions and teaching them how to play. Everything after that is developing, and it's development. And sometimes people stop developing, especially players. So you know you need to provide that safe space where it's you need, and that's a, from a team aspect. You need to make it understood that nothing is solidified, nothing is secured. Even if you're a senior, nothing is solidified, nothing is secured. Um, so there's. There's that one. And then the last topic I'm going to talk about is you know what I think makes a good coach especially if especially if we're going to really break this down into you know meeting meeting a certain standard of equity on a sports team is the the depth chart or the depth roster you have too many coaches and especially the bad ones tend to focus all almost all their attention on their star and stud athletes and the guys who need development tend to work with the assistant coaches and you know it's something that, as a experienced head coach, you need to work with everybody. You know, you need to alternate, and you need to make it equal. Because if you would, you're going to have multi sport athletes, especially in high school. And if five of your starters play a sport in the summer. Or they play... And then another five of your starters play a sport in the winter. And you hold winter and summer workouts. You know, months, periods, whatever. That are open to any of the football players if if they're willing to come. Right? And you look at all those kids who don't play sports. Like, all throughout the year. And you say... You know, you whisper and you give them that, hey, yo, hey, I want you guys to start coming in in the winter times. You know, we spent we spend all season working with our guys that are starting, but I want to work. I want to use more time in the winter to get you guys ready, to get you guys caught up to try and get you on the same level so I can start cycling some of you guys into the games. You know, giving some of our starters a break. Dude, I I can't tell you how beneficial that would be. You would run through teams if every single person on your roster played varsity and they were able to at least do the minimum of what's needed of them in order to be dominant or hold their own ground because it gives it gives these starting kids a rest you know you got 11 guys playing offensive and defense right that's 22 total players out of a 40 man roster you can fit everybody in I promise you you know I've seen crazy I've seen some crazy stuff I've heard of some crazy stuff um, one of the smaller factions of the German-American Football League that they have over there, they have two defensive teams and two offensive teams. And, you know, so they, the way it was explained to me is sometimes you'll have an offense that runs the ball and an offense that is strictly for passing. Well, then, wouldn't the opposing coach know what you're doing? Not if you change some of the the players around. Not if you change some of the players around. If you have two running backs and they're both equally as fast, you can throw one in there and pass the ball. You, you just have to keep them guessing. You know, make it... You have to move components around. You have to be unpredictable in that sense. That means you have to be thinking what the defense thinks. Because, and it pays to teach your your leader out there on the field to call audibles. Because if they see a press and they see a blitz coming, they can call a deep route and they, there it is, touchdown. And those aren't even your starters out there. You know, so it, I it, it's it's an algorithm. It's an al- it's not really an algorithm, but it's an algorithm the way they do it there. And they said we're the most dominant team in the league, and people try doing what we're doing. But the problem is, is that he the the coach I was talking to said the reason why I think a lot of people can't keep up with us is because too many coaches spend too much time on their star athletes. He pulls some dude, I think he said he was in his like mid to late 30s, so like 37 years old. And he's playing amateur German football. And he comes up to me and he says, he said, this, this guy, he's like, He's not a starter. Ask him. Ask him. How often, he says, how often do I talk to you? Every day. How often do I talk to you about anything aside from football? Every day. How often do I sit there and run through drills with you? Every day. He's like, okay. Brings a starting quarterback. Same answers. Every day. I said, how do I know they're not, you know, how do I know they're not lying? Because they could be they could be lying just to make you look good if they're scared of you. And he's like, come to practice. This man was bouncing all over the place. You know, this man was bouncing back and forth, left, right. And I'm just like, okay. I said, so how do you execute walkthroughs? He's like, well, it's real simple. He's like I asked the guys if they would rather have somebody who talks to them on a day-to-day basis and works with them and make sure that he gets to every single one of them or if they would rather get out of practice earlier. And they all said they would rather have a coach that cares. He said, so if that means forfeiting a little bit more time, turning a two-hour practice into a -a two-and-a-half, three-hour practice, he's like, I'm all for it. Is I am getting paid to do this. Not a lot, but I'm getting paid. So and so that's what a good coach does. You know, two th- you don't have to you don't have to work a depth chart like that, but the the big takeaway from that one is you know, involving your players in decision-making process and putting time in even if it includes losing a little bit of your free time, putting some time in to help others. That's what a good coach does. So in conclusion to all this, um, you know, there are bad coaches out there who sit there and scream and yell, and that's all they'll ever do. There are good coaches out there that, you know, seem kind of quirky and dorkish, and that's all they do. You, coaches come in all different kinds of molds, and it's it's important to have a good policy with yourself as a coach on how you're going to treat your players, how you're going to, how you're going to relate and act with your players, and you know you just. The easy solution to all this is, you know, don't develop, don't, don't just develop them within their sport, develop them within life, make them better people, you know, show them that out of a world that where generally most people won't give a damn about you, that you, you do you do give a damn about them. You know, that's what a good coach does. So that's my conclusion. That's my third episode right there. It's a little bit... That one is a little bit more intricate and has a little bit more crazier, farther-out-there methods. And I want to share those with you because maybe it sparks somebody's interest and they actually start trying to do some of these things and see if it's better. Because, you know... There is a way to execute everything. It's just a matter of having the patience to find it. And when you don't have the patience to find it, then that's probably the the red flag that means you should probably hang that hat up and call it a day. So, um, I want to thank you guys for listening to this coaching segment. Um, it was fairly brief took a long time just because I've been so busy but it's it's brief and it's general but it's that's the things that need to be worked on within coaching it's simple stuff that isn't happening and then coaches sit there and they wonder why kids don't respect them and you know their kids don't listen and it's it's a simple thing and it's mainly because you don't do the simple stuff and you make it 10 times harder than what it needs to be and then you make it harder than that because you yell at them all the time so i don't know but i'm glad to have done this episode i'm glad to have talked to you guys i'm glad to have gotten over this segment it was a real struggle and i hope you guys um like I said, I hope you guys use some of these things and and look for some of these things within not just coaching but leadership and educating and, you know, or just even being a um, mentor, you know. These things are all applicable. It's applicable to a lot more than just coaching in general. So with that said, that's where I'm leaving it. That's where I'm ending it. So I hope you guys enjoyed the final part to the coaching segment, and I hope you guys have a great day. This has been the Big Fellow Strength Podcast, and I'll catch you guys on the next one.